hello and welcome back. My name is Kaylin Leacock and I am the host of this podcast and the founder of the First Love Movement. And it is so good to have you join us today. If you are new, I just want to welcome you. This is just a space that is committed to studying the word together and learning more about God and his word. And over the past few weeks, we have been going through the seven churches in Revelation found in Revelation chapters two and three. These were letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches in Asia Minor. And we have been unpacking them and looking at what this message or what these messages mean, not just for the churches then, but what does it mean for us today? And I know for me, it has really been challenging and a lot of the times confronting. And so I pray that it has blessed you. I pray that you have been able to take something out of these letters and um, really apply it to your faith and apply it to your life and your situation. So today, as we continue, we've got two churches left. We're going to be looking at the Church of Philadelphia. And so let us dive in. If you are following along in your Bible, this is Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, um, finishing in verse, I'm just looking it up, verse 13. So Revelation 3, verses 7 to 13. So as previously mentioned, Jesus specifically writes seven letters to seven churches that were found in Asia Minor. Asia Minor being what we know today as modern day Turkey. And um, so Philadelphia is one of those churches found in the region of Asia Minor. And Philadelphia, in comparison to the other churches that we've already looked at over the last few weeks, Philadelphia was the youngest of these churches. Um, Philadelphia was a city that was founded as a missionary outpost. How funny is that? This was a missionary outpost city whereby um, the Greek culture that had so greatly influenced the world could now further go out into the reaches of the unknown world. Um, the philosophical thinking and the literature and the ideas that you know made up this Greek way of thinking could now advance. And so we shouldn't be surprised that God uses this as a missionary outpost for his kingdom and for his gospel and for his word to go forth. Philadelphia was a gateway city from Turkey or Europe um, that would spread out into the east. It was a wealthy city, similar to the other cities that we've looked at. They've all kind of seemed to be wealthy, influential cities. And it was the only city that did not actually receive a direct rebuke from the Lord. A few weeks ago, we looked at the church of Pergamum, and although they didn't receive a rebuke, the Lord did greatly encourage them to keep being faithful, but keep being faithful, but keep being faithful. This isn't necessarily a rebuke, but it is a stern reminder to them. To the letter or to the church of Philadelphia, there is nothing like this for them. They don't get a keep being. They are actually such a beautiful church. This is the faithful church. This is the faithful church that Jesus is addressing. So they don't receive a rebuke. They don't receive any kind of um, instruction to further um, correct or change anything because they are actually operating wonderfully, exactly the way that the Lord would want them to be. And so like in many other cities of the empire, there were Jewish people who lived in Philadelphia. At this time, you know, a lot of Jewish people had scattered from Jerusalem and from Israel, the, the diaspora where Jewish people went into all the known um, 
cultures and cities of the time. And so there was a bustling Jewish population within the city of Philadelphia, similar to Smyrna, Ephesus, Pergamum, and the rest of the cities that we've looked at. So as in every other letter, Jesus introduces himself and he introduces himself to the church of Philadelphia as the one who is holy and true. He is the one who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut and what he shuts, no one can open. You know, in his introduction to the church of Philadelphia, Jesus is very much showing his authority and he's showing his sovereignty. He is reminding the church that he is all powerful. He is reminding the church that he is in control. And I think he's definitely reminding the church of Philadelphia not to be intimidated or afraid because he is the great I am. He is the sovereign, powerful God who holds everything in his hand. He is holy. He is a holy God. He is true. He is genuine and he is real. This is something that can only be said of God, our God, Yahweh. He is the only one who is real and true. He is not like other gods who are fickle and fake. Our God is real and therefore his promises are real. His word is real. He is truth. He is loyal. He is faithful. We can stand on his word. We can stand on who he is because he is a sure and a true foundation. You know, Jesus says that he holds the key of David. Now, this is incredibly messianic language. This is speaking of King David. And God said to David that his throne would reign forever. And Jesus is reminding, he is reminding the church of Philadelphia that he is not just part of the lineage of David, but he is the one who holds the keys of David's reign. He is the one who holds the key of David. So this is, you know, again, to remind us the power and the might and the majesty of Jesus. He's just not seated on David's throne. He rules David's throne. And to any Jewish hearer of this letter, that would have been incredibly confronting to, to realize and to actually understand the depth of what Jesus was talking about. No one can undo what Jesus has done or is doing. He is all powerful. He is sovereign. He is in control over everything. And, you know, I just want to take a moment to encourage you, wherever you're finding yourself at the moment, Jesus says, um, no one can shut the doors that I am opening and no one can open the doors that I am shutting. And this is so applicable for our lives as well. You know, the reality is that we find ourselves in situations where we are believing God to do things in us and through us and with our lives. And it can be incredibly intimidating. It can be incredibly scary. It can be incredibly daunting. But I just want to speak a word of encouragement over your life that if God has given you promises and you are to walk out and step out into that, know that he will open doors that no man can shut. Man is not the orchestrator of your life. Man is not the governor of the, the purpose of God on your life. It is God. And so as we surrender our lives to Jesus, and surrender is something that we should be doing daily, but as we surrender our lives to Jesus, we've got to trust that he is leading us. He is guiding us. He's opening those doors and he is closing the doors that he doesn't want us to walk through. 
I know sometimes that can be quite disheartening when we feel like we suffer rejection or pushback. But, you know, as I get older, I just realize every closed door is actually God protecting me from something that he did not want me to experience, which is actually something so incredible and something that we should be grateful for. So here is Jesus introducing himself to the Church of Philadelphia and reminding them that he is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He holds the key of David's throne and kingdom, and he is to be feared and greatly praised and loved and worshipped. You know, I mentioned as well that Philadelphia was a missionary outpost city, and I love that God is so strategic in where he has placed these cities. This city was established and built in order to take the Greek philosophy and culture and spread it to the, um, to the reaches of the empire and the unknown world. And here God uses this city as an opportunity for him to spread the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus. God will take the things of the world and he will use it to confound the wise and he will use it for his purpose and to his advantage. The kingdom of God will advance and it will continue to advance even in the midst of what seems to be you know, crazy seasons and crazy situations, God will advance his kingdom. You see, the things that are going well for the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says that I know your deeds. I know your deeds. This is a familiar phrase that Jesus uses with many of the churches that he sees our deeds. Jesus knows what we're doing. He knows what we're doing with what he has given us. He sees our good works. He sees our hard works. He sees our laboring. He sees our toiling. I know sometimes it can feel like we're just doing everything unknown and unseen. And does anyone even care? But let me just tell you, Jesus knows and he sees and he cares. And, you know, obedience and faithfulness is the currency of the kingdom. And whether anyone acknowledges what you are doing or not, know that God sees and he is well pleased by his children who are toiling and working to advance the kingdom of God. Our reward is with our savior. We don't do on earth so that we can get praised by people or opportunities and platform. We do on earth the will of our father in obedience to him so that we actually are advancing his kingdom and we want the glory to go to Jesus and we want him to be the one that actually sees our works. So please, if you are in a season where you feel exhausted and you know, like, God, what am I doing? Keep going, keep going, keep being faithful, keep being obedient because he sees and he knows. And he says to the church of Philadelphia, look at the open door. Look at the open door that I have set before you. No one can shut this door. You know, often in scripture, when this term, an open door is used, it often refers to evangelistic opportunity in scripture. I'm going to give you three examples of this, and you can look this up in your own time and read these verses. But first is 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9. Then 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12 and Colossians 4 verse, 3, uh, 4 verse 3. So often in scripture, open door refers to this opportunity that God gives us to advance the kingdom with his gospel and with his good news. And so Jesus is basically saying to the church of Philadelphia, I see your deeds. And I also see that I have let you establish yourself in the perfect environment to spread the kingdom culture. And I have given you a door of opportunity that I have opened. Remember, Jesus reminded the church 
I will open doors that no man can shut. And so he's reiterating this and he's reminding them, I have set you in an environment that is perfect. It is perfect to advance the kingdom culture. And I have opened this door of opportunity. So you don't need to worry. You don't need to be afraid. I have opened this door and no one can shut this door. And I just want to say, I think that this is maybe a word for so many of us where you find yourself right now, where God has opened the door, step through it, step through it, step through it in obedience and with faith, knowing that the doors that God opens for us, no man can shut. We need to have the courage to take every evangelistic opportunity that God has set before us. You know, I personally um, am so mindful that one day God is going to speak to me and he's going to say, okay, so what did you do with what I gave you? And I just think when we get into eternity and we stand before the Father, all of our excuses are going to seem so silly in comparison with the greatness of who God is. I don't want to get to heaven one day and God says, what did you do in this situation? And I, you know, humbly tell him, I was just a little scared, God. It's just going to seem so silly. And I know like in, in life and in, in the world, like it can seem so intimidating to step out in faith and do things. But we have got the sovereign God on our side. He's the one who's walking before us and going before us. And so do it. We have nothing to lose and everything to gain when we step out in obedience you know, I said before, uh, obedience and faithfulness is the currency of the kingdom. And, you know, I'm, re I'm reminded of the verse in Hebrews eleven six, 6, and I just want to read it to you. It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. We serve a God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible to God, but it is impossible for us to please God without our faith. It says anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists. I mean, that in itself takes faith. We see him in creation. We see him in the way that he's worked out things and situations in our lives, but we have never seen him face to face. So even knowing and believing that he exists takes an element of faith. So we have to come to him believing that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So it is impossible to please God without faith. Here Jesus is encouraging the church of Philadelphia to step out, to step through that door, that opportunity that he's given them. And then he goes on to say, and I'm going to read it here in verse eight, or sorry, um, yeah, sorry, verse eight, he says, you have little strength and yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Here Jesus is requiring something of the church, knowing that they are not very strong. They have little strength. And you know what? I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes I feel so similar to the church of Philadelphia God, you are asking way too much of me. You are asking me something that I don't know that I have the strength to do this, but we know that God will never require um, of us that which we can't actually produce for him. And so here Jesus is acknowledging their lack of strength. He's not meaning a physical strength, but rather he's recognizing that they've realized that their strength can only be found in God. Their strength can only be found in the Lord. They are weak. They are weak. The type of weak that we need to be. The type of weak that we need to be is that weakness that says that 
I am nothing and I can do nothing and I can achieve nothing without God who alone is my strength. This is the revelation that the Church of Philadelphia has actually um, come into. They realize that they are weak. They realize that they have no strength. They realize that all that they have is because of Jesus. The Church of Philadelphia, and I want you to hear this because I think that we all need to get to a place where this is where we are found. The Church of Philadelphia was weak enough to be strong in the Lord. We are weak enough to be strong in the Lord. That is not something that is easy because our flesh nature, our humanity, we want to seem in control. We want to seem that we can do it. We want to be able to... Um, to work for the Lord and show him that we've got this. We've, this is our independent stri um, this is our ind independent nature. This is our flesh nature where I love God. I love that you're there, but God, I've got this. I don't need you right now. I don't need you because I've got this. I'm strong enough to do this. Philadelphia had come to a place where they recognized that their strength came from, from him alone and that they were weak enough. They were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. This requires an incredible level of humility. You have to humble yourself enough to realize that you are nothing, that you can do nothing. You are, hu are humble enough to realize that as much as you put on a great church service or run a great group or lead a great team, you are nothing without God. It is him that's the one that's doing everything. You are humble enough to acknowledge that, but it also requires an incredible level of trust surrendering all of our control over to God so that he is the one who can do what he needs to do. And I know that this is definitely, definitely not easy and something that we need to be trying to cultivate in our lives. The Church of Philadelphia were evangelists. Their sole focus and their mission was to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ um, to the far reaches of the earth and, you know, they, they were established, God established them in an environment where this was actually challenging, but able to be done. The Church of Philadelphia, they relied on God's strength. They were humble and relied on him. They realized that in their own strength, they were nothing but weak. The Church of Philadelphia were faithful to Jesus. Jesus says that they kept his word and did not deny his name. And I love this. And this is definitely a challenge for me personally. And I think for the church today, are we denying the name of Jesus? When we deny his word, when we kind of compromise around his word and kind of tweak the word to fit in with our life and our culture and so as to not offend, we're denying Jesus. He's given us his book. He's given us his law. He's given us his word. He's given us his heart. And this must be stewarded well and it must be stewarded in love, but we cannot compromise on the word of God and what the word of God tells us. He has given us instructions to live. And when we kind of pick and choose what we want, we are denying his word and we are denying him. And God celebrates the Church of Philadelphia and recognizes that even in a difficult environment, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago, even in a difficult environment, they have remained true and they have remained faithful to his name. These qualities seem simple enough, 
evangelism, relying on God's strength, faithful to Jesus. It's what we all want, right? We all want to be evangelism and evangelism focused. We all want to be taking the gospel of Jesus into our world and into our environments. We all want to rely on God's strength. We all want to be faithful to Jesus. But of all the seven churches, this is the only church that, ha um, that has carried all of these qualities. So statistically, it just reminds us that as much as this is how we want to live and as much as this is what we want to, to, to show, it's actually very, very difficult. You know, this church, the Church of Philadelphia, also experienced persecution. They also experience persecution. Sometimes we think if we do the right thing and we're living for God and everything's amazing and we're ticking all the boxes, maybe God will protect us. You know, Jesus himself said that we should expect to experience persecution. He said if the world hated him, if we're living right for Jesus and we're in his will, the world will hate us too. And it was no different for the for the church of Philadelphia who also experienced um persecution. This persecution was at the hands of some Jewish people in the city um, who actually tormented them a little bit. If you read the account, it says, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, who those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Here we have this picture of um, Actually, it's a beautiful picture. I think it's amazing. Here we have a picture of these Jewish men who claim to be Jewish and are not living according to the way God would want them to live. And they are persecuting the church of Philadelphia. But God tells the church that he will vindicate them. And the way that God vindicates, you know, it's not always how we want it. We want God to vindicate us by humiliating the people who have done us wrong and judging the people who have done us wrong and outing them and shading them and exposing them. And that's not the heart of God. And I, I'm always reminded of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And, you know, that would have been absolutely horrendous to be dragged out into the city square in front of Jesus and in front of everybody, you know, probably not clothed, so humiliated. And Jesus could have stood there rebuking her. He could have humiliated her. He could have made her feel as low as she most likely felt. But he esteemed her and he loved her and he lifted her up. And that's actually how God wants to vindicate us in our lives. And when we have done the wrong thing, God wants to esteem us. He wants to love us. He wants to pull us up. Yes, there's consequence often to the things that we do. And, you know, we will sometimes have to experience those consequences. But God wants to love us to himself. And this is what he says to the to this the synagogue of Satan, these men who are persecuting the church of Philadelphia, they will turn and they will acknowledge Jesus Christ. Is this not the ultimate vindication that the ones persecuting meet Jesus for themselves and turn to him? I'm reminded of the, the apostle Saul. Isn't it the most beautiful story of God's redemption and his vindication in that he allows Paul or Saul to meet him and serve him the rest of his life? This is the heart of God. He is a good father and he wants all of us to know him. And so he tells the church of Philadelphia, don't worry, the people that are persecuting you, they are going to turn, they will bow down and they will acknowledge that I am king. So to the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says to them that because they have endured patiently, 
They have endured patiently Jesus' promises to keep them from the great tribulation, the hour of trial. It says this, I want to read in um, verse 10, it says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Now, I'm not going to go into this at all, but um, many would view this as an indication of pre-tribulation rapture and that to those who have persevered and those who have stayed true to the faith and those who have stayed faithful to Jesus, true believers who love the Lord, they will be rescued out of this hour of trial that the entire world will face. It says there in verse 10, it says, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to the world. So we won't go into that. You can look up that for yourself and maybe do your own study because I know that that just opens a whole nother um, Pandora's box. But a lot of people would say that this is another indicator of a pre-tribulation rapture. This trial that will come onto the world that the whole world will experience is a trial and a test for unbelievers. For unbelievers, we, we are hidden in Christ in heavenly places. And Jesus is coming quickly. He is coming suddenly. So we have to be ready. You know, I can't say that Jesus is coming back in our lifetime, although it definitely looks like it. Like, in my opinion, there is just so much going on in the world and so many things that would indicate his imminent return. But every generation has felt that. Every generation has longed for that. Every generation has had signs and things that would indicate that he is coming. But what I do know is that when he comes and when everything is put into motion for his second coming, it will go quickly. We don't have time to wait until maybe one day when, you know, I'll just see how I go. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time for us to get right with God. We don't have a guarantee. Our breath in our lungs is borrowed and God can take it at any time. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. And so today, now is the day of salvation and we need to be ready. Jesus is coming quickly, so we have to hold fast to what we have. We have to hold fast so that no one will take our crown. This is what Jesus says in verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Hold fast. Hold fast. Persevere. Stay the course. Hold fast. Hold fast to the word. Hold fast to the word. Hold fast to the word. Hold fast to your personal revelation of Jesus Christ. Do not be sucked in by false teachers. Don't be sucked in by the latest fads and things. Hold fast to Jesus who is faithful and he is true. Hold fast so that no one takes away your crown. This is a crown of victory. This is a crown that we will be given one day as victors who have run this race and endured and have been victorious to the end. Run your race hard so that you finish your race with victory. I'm always amazed when I read that verse. It says, hold your crown so that no one, hold fast so that no one will take away your crown. That's such an interesting thought to me. Hold fast so that no one will take away your crown. You know, it reminds me of the verse in Hebrews that says, you know, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't get distracted by what others are doing. Don't get taken out. Don't sit on the sidelines. Sit with your eyes fixed firmly on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, so that you will run with endurance the race that is set out before him and that you will be victorious. Run your race hard so that you finish with victory. And Jesus closes this letter and he closes it in the same way that he closes every other letter. Whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever hears this letter, heed what the Lord is saying. This means that this is a message for me. This is a message for the 21st century church. This is a message for you. If you've read this, if you've heard this, if you've listened to this, this is a message to you. Jesus is given an intentional message to us, the church. This is a letter for you. Hear it. Heed it. Apply it to your life in a way that you need to apply it to your life. This letter is going to look different for each of us. But if there is an open door that you need to walk through, walk through it. If there is something that God has shut in your life, stop banging on the closed doors. Heed what the Lord is saying. Obey him and be faithful to the end. And then God gives his promise and you can read it in verse 12. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. To the one who is victorious, they will be made pillars in the temple of God. Now, in this region in Philadelphia, they experienced a lot of earthquakes. We are seeing this right now. I mean, two, three weeks ago, there was an absolutely catastrophic earthquake in Turkey that caused so much loss of life and devastation. And there have been after tremors and, you know, it, it just seems to be continuing, like continuing the devastation. It's, it's absolutely awful. And this was common in this, in this region. And so the city of Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia were used to and had experienced the devastation of these earthquakes. You know, we're seeing it in the news. Buildings were, were literally destroyed in seconds. Houses, churches, business places gone in a second. And now takes the hard work and the time and the resource of rebuilding. It's devastating. You have to rebuild and what God promises to the church of Philadelphia, to those who have overcome, you're going to have a sense of security. You're going to be a pillar in the temple of God. It will no longer fall and break and you know crumble. And you're going to have a sense of security in the temple. You're going to be a pillar in the house of God, no longer falling and being destroyed and crumbling. But there's a sense of strength and a sense of security. A pillar is the strongest part of the structure besides the foundation. And you know, Jesus is our foundation. He is the foundation and he is the chief cornerstone. So we can't be the foundation, but what an incredible honor that we get to serve alongside God in being a pillar, a strength and a support in this immovable structure. This is the promise to the church of Philadelphia. And they are also promised that he will write on them his new name. 
oh, I can't wait. I want to know and I want to speculate and I want to guess. But, you know, this again reminds us of this beautiful level of intimacy that we are going to experience with Jesus when we see him face to face and when we walk into eternity. We're going to experience a greater level of intimacy with him and he is going to reveal to us his new name. He holds nothing back from us. He doesn't keep aspects of himself secret and hidden, but we are going to know him in the fullness that we are able to know him in. And we're going to know intimately about our Jesus and our Savior. And this is the promise to the Church of Philadelphia. This is the promise to the faithful church. This is the, the promise to the faithful who endure and who are faithful and hold firm and hold fast to Jesus to the end. And I want to be one of those. I want to be counted among those in Philadelphia that held firm and held fast. I want to be one who steps through the opportunities that God opens up for me, that I don't waste or squander what he's doing in my life and squander the opportunity that he's given me. But I want to walk through in faith and obedience. I want to hold firm to Jesus's word and his teaching. I want to be faithful to the end so that I can be called a pillar of strength in the temple of our God. As we close this letter to the Church of Philadelphia, you know, I've said it before, but I want to encourage you again. Take a moment. Take a moment. Spend time with the Holy Spirit. He is right here. He is not playing games with us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to use us. We are his co-laborers. Take a moment. What are the evangelistic opportunities that God has set before you? What are the opportunities that God has set before you that you can walk in and further the kingdom of God? Take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. Commit your plans. Commit your path to the Lord and he will go before you. But take a step of faith. Do not squander what God is doing in your life. Do not be like the servant who buried his talent, but take what God has given you and work with it. Have faith to believe that God can take what your life is and what is in your life and actually make something beautiful and lasting from your life. You know, God has promised that each of us have got um, good works that we're supposed to outwork in our life. And so why not today? Why not start today and ask the Lord, God, where is the open door that you are asking me to walk through? Also, just want to encourage you to acknowledge your weaknesses. You know, Paul often talks about this in the epistles where he boasts in his weaknesses. He boasts in his weaknesses. Now, that is something so foreign to us today because we want to hide our weaknesses. We don't want to show vulnerability. We don't want to show weakness. We don't want to show failure. We want to kind of just present this idea of ourselves that we are strong and put together and we don't need help. We're, we're amazing. But I want to ask you to think about what are your weaknesses? What are the areas that you are lacking in strength? Because those are the areas that God is going to show himself faithful. And when we can acknowledge our weaknesses, you know what we get to do? We get to boast in his strength. We get to boast in his goodness. We get to give him all the glory and all the praise for what he's doing in our lives. So no longer should we be afraid of our weaknesses and hide and be embarrassed and, you know, but let us boast in our weaknesses for in our weakness, he is made strong. I pray that this letter has blessed you. I pray that it has encouraged you. I pray that it has motivated you. Remember, it is impossible to please God with faith. So let us be his children, stepping out in faith and doing all that he's called us to do. 
Amen.